Well, Happy New Year. I hope your 2022 is off to a great start. It's already proving to be a most interesting year. Of course, like every other year, January is a time for new hopes and big dreams for the year ahead. And whatever those hopes and dreams are for you, we're all interested in a fresh start. I think we can agree on that, especially given the last two years, we're all interested in a fresh start. This time of year can also be challenging as we settle into the long, cold winter ahead. While we've already seen the days getting shorter and the temperatures colder in November and December, we still had the holidays to look forward to, which kind of brightened things up a bit. But now it's just colder and darker, with the excitement of Christmas over and sadly, all the Christmas lights coming down. And the sunny summertime looks very, very far away. Some days, it just seems like there's, well, there's not a whole lot to look forward to currently. And just one more outbreak of another new variant, just one more friend lost in the deepening political divide in this country, just one more snow day stuck at home with the kids could plunge you into a depression. In its more extreme cases, some people during these winter months experience seasonal affective disorder, a very real, very serious mental health condition. At this time of year, just so much seems to steal our joy. So, aren't you glad you came to church today just to hear all the bad news? I suppose you could include on this list of killjoys preachers who add to the misery. Beyond all the obvious thieves of joy that are limited to this time of year or the current news cycle and can be at least eventually overcome, other thieves look to steal our joy in a more permanent way. And if we're not careful, they will. And we can find ourselves living joyless lives. Many people do. And the purpose of this series is not to depress you. It's to equip you to name those thieves, and then identify strategies that will protect us and help guard against them. Thieves of joy are things like worry, anxiety, rejection, disappointment, disapproval, disrespect, anger, fear, criticism, fear of criticism, and the list could go on and on and on. While it must be acknowledged that some suffer from chronic disorders that require professional treatment, most all of us experience most all of these things from time to time. And every time we do, they'll rob us of joy. But there is another thief of joy that we're going to be talking about today. And this thief it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not a reaction, it's not a condition. It's a person. The person who gets in the way of your joy the most. And I know some of you are already naming names in your head. But before we go there, 
I just want to step back and take a moment to establish our working definition of joy for purposes of this series. First of all, joy is different than happiness. Joy is different than happiness. We talked about this back in 2021, right before Christmas, but I want to repeat myself, which I often do, because one, some of you are new, two, some of you might not have heard that message, and three, some of you heard the message and promptly forgot it. I always say that by Tuesday, nobody remembers what I said on Sunday, and by Wednesday, I don't remember. So let me repeat myself. Happiness is a feeling. It's the feeling of contentment. Happiness is is good, but we only experience happiness at the physical and emotional level. And the thing about happiness is, because it's a feeling at the physical or emotional level, it comes and it goes. Joy isn't a feeling or emotion at all at least in the sense that we're talking about it in this series. It's an experience. We experience joy, and we experience joy at a different level, a spiritual level, the level of our soul. Joy is cheer and goodwill and contentment and so many things experienced in the core of our being. You know, you can anticipate happiness. You can anticipate it, you can arrange it, you can control it, you can manufacture it, you can manipulate it. And in this sense, happiness is smaller than the sum total of who we are. Joy is an experience that we enter into, much as you entered into this building this morning. And in that sense, it's bigger than the sum total of who we are. When we're experiencing joy intensely, strongly, we don't even think about ourselves. We forget ourselves. And here's the thing, and it's kind of ironic. Everybody wants happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. Everyone is on a happiness quest. Not everyone seeks joy. Why? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at that thief that we mentioned, the number one thief of your joy. And to do that, we're going to look at the passage from the Gospel of St. Luke that Father Nicholas just read for us. Luke wrote an extended account of Jesus' life, including his birth, his childhood, and as we see in today's reading, the launching of his public ministry. Many scholars believe that a major source of Luke's information about Jesus was Jesus' mother, Mary. That's why his account of Jesus' early life is more complete than the other Gospels. His account of Christmas is entirely from the perspective of Mary. But today we're looking at the third chapter of Luke's gospel, where we read this. The people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. So Luke tells us about an atmosphere of expectation that John the Baptist's preaching stirred up. 
people were looking for something more. And John's preaching was feeding in to that. John the Baptist had grown in power and popularity during his public ministry. People would travel out into the desert in droves just to hear him preach, and many were baptized. And everyone was asking if he was the one, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel had been waiting for, the one to lead them to the life they were longing for. John knows these questions are being asked, and so at a certain point, he decided to address them. John answered them saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John says flat out, he's not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. He emphasizes that he baptizes with water. In other words, what he is doing is to be understood as merely symbolic. It was a symbol of life change. The real Messiah would offer something more as in authentic life change, total transformation. The story goes on. After all the people had been baptized and Jesus had been baptized and was praying, Heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell the story of Jesus' baptism, but only Luke includes this detail, that Jesus prayed after his baptism. Why? Why is that important? Well, it was while he was praying, it was while he was in prayer that the heavens opened. And there's this extraordinary moment in which the power and presence of God are on display. The power and presence of God and the prayer of Jesus. Two sides of this extraordinary moment that culminates in an extraordinary way. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Forget about the extraordinary moment. Every child needs to hear those words from their father. Every child needs to know in their heart of their parents' approval and appreciation. No matter your age, that doesn't change. That doesn't go away. And Jesus was no different because he was fully human, just like you and me. The Son of God needed to hear from his Father that he loved him, that he was the object of his Father's love and affection, to fuel him for the mission and ministry he was preparing to undertake, to strengthen him for all he would suffer. He needed to experience the joy and delight his heavenly father took in him. He needed to know that his father was pleased with him. But think about that. At this point, what had he done? From Luke's account, which is the most detailed account we have of his life up until this point, there wasn't much to tell. He hadn't really done anything, at least anything out of the ordinary or noteworthy. He lived in obscurity in a backwater town as an apprentice carpenter. And 
He hadn't healed anyone or preached a single sermon or taught a single lesson. And yet, God the Father takes this moment to claim Jesus as his beloved son and to express his delight in him. God the Father loves his son and delights in him before he accomplished anything. Of course, every parent among you easily understands that. You took delight in your child the very first moment you laid eyes on them. They hadn't, they couldn't do anything to earn that delight. It was automatic. So can you appreciate, do you understand, can you bring yourself to believe that the same is true for you? The same is true for you when it comes to your Father, your Heavenly Father. God the Father delights in you. He might not always like what you do, but he likes you. He finds joy in you. And here we come to the number one person, that number one person who gets in the way of your joy. And you probably know what I'm going to say. The number one person who gets in the way of your joy is the devil, right? Because the devil loves to steal our joy. That's for sure. That's absolutely right. But there's actually someone who's even better at it, and it's you. The number one person who steals your joy is you. And one of the most effective ways you do it is when you define yourself by your work, by your accomplishments or lack of accomplishments, by your faults and failures or anything else that you've done or haven't done. You don't, you can't define yourself by any of those things. In fact, in its most basic sense, you don't define yourself at all. God does. God defines you. In Christ, through baptism, God defines you as a beloved child or a child of his love. We receive our stature and dignity from the Most High God, and that's an incredibly good thing, and here's why. The more you look to your performance to define you, the less joy you'll have. That's, that's what narcissists do. They define themselves by what they have, by what they've accomplished, and they're joyless as a result. The bigger narcissist someone is, the less joy they're going to have. And my point here is this. There's a bit of a narcissist in each of us. We all tend to look to our own performance and accomplishments to determine our value. And this creates an endless cycle of evaluation that can lead to self-criticism, self-doubt, perfectionism, regret, and, and more. When we define ourselves by what we do, we feel like we have to prove ourselves to ourselves over and over again. And oftentimes, we fail our own test. Of course our identities are powerfully shaped by what we do, what we like, who we love, where we live, our understanding of ourselves. These are all incredibly important to who we are. But the core of who you are, your primary identity, is as a child of your Heavenly Father. And the fruit 
The fruit of embracing this identity is joy. The question becomes, how do we keep ourselves mindful of this truth? How do we stop from slipping back into performance-based identity? Well, allow me to offer three simple, brief suggestions. One, the next time someone asks you what you do for a living or who you are, smile at them cheerfully and say, I'm a child of God. No, don't do that. It would just be awkward. But you could consider uh, allowing that identity to be reflected in your social media profile and footprint. Or write it down someplace where you're going to see it often as a reminder. Second, our identity is best reinforced through prayer. Just like Jesus, it is in prayer that God can reinforce our identity. If you don't get our daily devotional, it's called Daily Practice, sign up for it today on our website. We'll automatically send you an email each day with text that you can pray and video that you can watch. Third, get baptized. Seriously, we become children of God through the sacrament of baptism. It's by baptism that we're in, adopted into God's family. So no kidding. If you've never been baptized, and there are people here who haven't been baptized, that's fine. No worries. You're never too old. It's never too late. You can sign up today. Sign up for our prep program. It's called Vantage Point, and you can do it at churchnativity.com slash vantage point, one word. And you can be baptized received into the church this Easter. Did you know that the Bible lists nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, the unmistakable gifts that, that the Spirit is present? And the first fruit listed, the most significant is, as you might guess, love. But the second is joy. And that's not an accidental listing. Joy arises out of love. Joy arises out of the love God the Father has for his Son that now includes all of us. And joy grows as we grow in our awareness of that love. On several occasions, I had the opportunity, the privilege to meet and to spend time, a little bit of time, with Mother Teresa of Calcutta, now Saint Teresa, including the time she came to Baltimore to dedicate a convent that she opened. It's over in, in East Baltimore. And what struck me immediately about her on those occasions, even before her extremely slight stature and obvious humility, was her joy. She was simply a joyful person, a person brimming over with joy, and it was contagious. And one time, she said this, joy is the greatest strength you can ever have and hold. Joy is the highest form of prayer you can ever pray. Joy is the most compelling evidence of love that you can ever share. <laughs> 